0: Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we're joined by Joey Santor, host of Crime Pays But Botany Doesn't. We talk about botany as a spiritual experience, the psychic torture that is the modern North American parking lot, and killing your lawn. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Toute la journée, man, it goes. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour.
1: Hi, All
0: right, welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. Um, unfortunately, Clementine cannot be with us here today as she is in Costa Rica communing with the gods. But uh, I'm here in Ottawa, which is much less cool than Costa Rica, um, but I'm really happy to be joined by Joey Santor. How's it going, Joey? Hello.
1: How's it going?
0: Um, I'm doing all right, yeah. Um, Joey is the, uh, I would say, the emperor of the Crime Pays But Botany Doesn't empire, and um, which is a a vast constellation of output from this fucking guy. Um, You do like
1: just the mouth. It's just a win. I'm just a fucking windbag, man. (laughs) I just got a mouth and I run it and I can't shut the fuck up. That's all I do.
0: But this guy, like you have, you've got like a a YouTube channel. Um, You've got a podcast, you have a big Instagram following. Um, You do shirts, you do art, you're an illustrator, you're a photographer. Um, is there any botany that you don't
1: do? Uh, you know, no, I guess not, not really. I mean, I've even started moving into the realm of grasses and fucking looking at you know liverworts and little shit. So no, I mean, does I that know, not man, count? I just, as botany. No, oh, and no, it's botany. There's, you said any botany I don't do. That's uh, that's oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so that's still. I'm kind of. I guess I'm covering. I never thought I'd be looking at liverworts, but I just found a cool fucking liverwort in the desert desert liverwort that's like hairy you know which these are like weird fucking liverworts are are weird organisms they're really easy to look over and not pay attention to but this one was growing in a really cool area like like thin soiled area on top of some limestone like the kind of place you'd find peyote growing because i live down here in the peyote gardens of south texas uh, and it was and liverworts are normally like you know they're they're one of the earliest of earliest branching lineages of plants so they're really old lineages yeah. they don't have internal plumbing and so right. I saw this thing but I was like it's fucking hairy what the fuck cuz they don't normally have hairs hairs tend to be an adaptation to dry climates so I was it kind of blew my mind. I had my daughter with me too. She was on my shoulders. So I'm like, so like the added strain, like an extra 40 pounds on my back. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm looking at this thing, you know, just crouching down. Like, you know, Jesus Christ, it was such a beautiful day. There was like butterflies and stuff. Cause it's nice out here where I live now, you know, you can't go outside without being uncomfortable for six months out of the year. So it's finally cooled down. But anyway, no, I, I do a lot and I just run my mouth a lot and I'm just perpetually stoked on plants and so it's easy for me, you know? It, it, were were really you always, fun. were you always into botany? Like,
0: was this something that goes way back to like when you were a kid or something or? No, no.
1: I mean, I would, you know, I would plant my, I got into, you know, I my mom would have me plant stuff in the yard for her, like where we grew up, like in the, you know, the near Southwest suburbs of Chicago. But, um, but I did, you know, it was like impatience and stuff. It was like ornamental shit, like horticulture, you know, like they, they would grow these annuals and these fucking plastic trays. You plant them, they die. And then you get, the yeah. you know, it's, you know, there's a whole market for that. Or there used to be, I had no concept of like native plants, which are just ecology. Um, you know, when I first heard the concept of native plants, I thought it was like some weird elitist shit. Cause it was only, you know, Caucasian people in North Berkeley, <laughs> like wealthy Caucasian people right. in North Berkeley mentioning it. So I, you know, I was just a dumbass. I didn't know. I was like, oh, well, these people are people who seem kind of snooty and like dicks. And so whatever, it doesn't matter. And then I got into the concept of native plants, which is really just ecology. And so then slowly I started piecing all this stuff together, evolution, how things evolve, ecology. And it really saved me from, you know, it saved me in a lot of ways from you know i don't know i guess a darker outlook on life it was kind of an escape from things it was really uh it ended up being really healthy for me you know did something happen to get you into botany i guess you know i don't fuck i don't know man i mean i think it all it was this i look at the breadcrumb trail of things that got me into it and it started you know it's i used to ride freight trains as as a um as a youth and i would um It was a fun, free way to get around. We'd hang out in libraries. Thank God smartphones didn't exist yet to poison our minds and our emotional states and play with our dopamine levels and all that. We had other things. But smartphones weren't, uh, you know, social media didn't exist yet. So if you wanted to get information, you had to go to the library. So I'd go hang out at the library and just lurk there. Um, And I'd always, my day consisted of like long-ass bike rides uh, you know, getting a bunch of fruit at the fucking fruit market, and then going to the library, and sitting down with like a you know, stack of books, and just drawing, and like looking up whatever, just just perusing information. And so, I started doing that. I guess I just had questions about the world around me. And you know, when I was riding trains, I was I was I traveled to different cities, hang out in libraries or coffee shops, whatever the fuck, mostly libraries. Um, and then riding trains kind of exposed me to geology indirectly. Cause I grew up in a, you know, Midwest is flat, Chicago's flat. The only rocks right. you can really see are in quarries, limestone quarries. And even then, when I was a kid, my mom had told me, you know, uh, that limestone, are, those are the bodies of single celled organisms that died a long, long time ago and have, you know, and I just couldn't wrap my head around that, but I knew she was right. Cause if, you know, you'd see little crinoid bits, um, which aren't single-celled, of course. But, you know, you'd see little fossils in there. So you could tell that there was, it was legit. My mom wasn't giving me bad dope. She was, you know, that was the, that was really what happened. So I I just, that, she planted that seed. I must've been like five or six and I just couldn't understand it, but it stayed with me, uh, you know, for 20 or 30 years until I finally, it all started to finally click. And so anyway, trains got me into geology. Traveling got me into geology. I think travel is essential for anybody. I mean, it's really the way to, whether it's you're traveling to look at people or traveling to see different cultures or traveling to see different landscapes it really shakes you out of that myopia you know you yeah, get stuck yeah. in where like we think the world that we know that's you know within arm's reach is the way everything is it's the way you know i mean it was uh you know there's that quote i think it's a fucking mark twain quote it's like you know traveling is the antidote to prejudice or something like that and it's really mm-hmm. true i mean traveling is an antidote to a lot of things yeah it's true and um and so anyway, riding trains was nice because it was free and it was, you know, if you could stand the loudness and the dirtiness. And um, and so I would, when I really got out west and started seeing some of the mountain ranges out there and the railroad cuts, like, you know, the rail, the cuts in a fucking hill where the railroad, yeah. is and the railroad can only, you know, the grade can only go up 2%. Um, beyond that, it gets a little hairy in terms of the weight, you know, rolling stock and stuff. So they would – I'd see these road cuts and you could get this – like it was like a cross section of the earth. And I just got so confused mm-hmm. and, and just bewildered and just wondering how the fuck some of these these rock formations – and then, you know, were were formed. And I realized I didn't know any of it. And then I realized I was an ignorant fuck. And it was like, well, I just got to – I, I want to know. I want to know. And so it just – and every answer opened up 10 more questions. And it just – again, it was just this breadcrumb trail to – you know, I, I later got a job working at the railroad, which was really nice when it started. It was fun. Um, but, uh, and again, it exposed me to like a, a fucking diversity in, of different mindsets and people, whatever. And it was a really good, an, you know, anthropological eye on, not only on class, but also on just our modern American dystopia. <laughs> so... um uh anyway yeah we could talk about that later but um but I, w- I would be in the you got to the point where i'd be in the locomotive cab like reading research papers and shit you know and people are like how did you like how did you get here well, you know, i'm like i don't fucking know i just i had questions that i wanted to answer yeah, and yeah. it just became addictive and it was just such a nice way to get away from all the other bummer shit
0: uh, yeah, yeah, in my yeah. life
1: or in the world so so you were just you were just
0: uh, sort of incorrigibly curious um about the natural world around you and and did you did you go to school for any of this shit because you're like encyclopedic about it
1: no i went to uh i took a community when i stopped riding freight trains i realized i wanted to put roots down somewhere and work on art and learn stuff um mm. you know i wanted to learn about geology but i didn't want to get a degree I, I I knew college was kind of a scam yeah i knew especially like kids are taught to go to college right out of high school i think that's the worst idea i think Plus, if you want to terrible go to college fucking idea give it two or three years you know and like everything in in the united states it's been turned into a business right it's a fucking huge scam these you know rich kids get their parents or or other kids get scholarships that just cost tens of thousands of dollars to go to these schools so they can have a degree and they still learn nothing and so yeah um but anyway i i i moved back um i decided to move back to san francisco settle down there and and i just took a couple community college courses i was like community college is free i get a pell grant i go there and i just it's just structured learning i'm not going to pile on six classes i'll take two or three and just really obsess over those so i took like a geology class and some other stuff and it was fucking great it was really i was just learning to learn no end goal of a degree i just wanted to learn i'd figure the rest out as i went so yeah that's very cool um i mean yeah college is kind of honestly a fucking
0: scam everywhere but uh one thing I do really like about Quebec that they do here is um, they have this thing called CGEP and it's like there's no grade 12 of high school and there's and your first year of university is also like axed um, and instead you have this like two-year period at a essentially free community college um, and so a lot of people just do that like out of high school instead and so you go and you, you do like a, this sort of like mini degree and whatever, it costs you nothing and you kind of figure out if that is actually what you want to be doing. And I did that and I did like a fine arts degree, you know, and mostly learned that I did not want to do fine That's arts amazing. in university, you know, yeah, and it right. makes a lot, it makes a lot more sense. And so, and you think about somebody who's in grade 12, you know, it's like, they're, they're like basically an adult, you know, and, and the fact that they you know, that they have to, that they'll get like, you know, kicked out if they don't, if they, if they're like, uh, if they miss classes or something like that is like so ridiculous, you know? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, at the
0: same time, if you take one of those people and you throw them in university, it's like, <laughs> it's just like a fucking disaster. But anyways, yeah, I like CJEP. It's a cool thing. Um, that was but I, I love that. It. Uh, it's it's like almost free. It's like a couple hundred bucks a semester. Yeah. God, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine how different things would be if it was like education was more accessible? Fucking shit. Healthcare was more accessible.
0: Yeah. No kidding, man. I, I'm obviously like obsessing about that all the fucking time. Um, but yeah, I love that you didn't go to, uh, get like a fucking PhD in this shit and instead you just learned about it cause you think it's interesting. Um, which I definitely want to talk about in a little bit. I want to talk about education with you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have a couple more questions about botany first, I think. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Botany can seem completely overwhelming. Like, I look at your shit and, you know, I've listened to a bunch of episodes of yours and, like, I, I, I like your YouTube videos and stuff. But it's it's, like – it just, like, washes over me, you know, because I don't have a basis in it, you know. But I think yeah. about how – I'm, I'm kind of the same way with history. Like I'm, I'm kind of like encyclopedic about history and, and I'm obsessed with it. And I, I will like, just like f- pick a fucking country and, and just be like focused on it for, for, for like a month, you know, and just learn like every ridiculously obscure thing there is to know about like the medieval period and Turkmenistan or whatever. Um, yeah. and, and people talk to me about that and they're sort of like, I don't know how you can, how you can grasp any of this because it's, there's so much of it, you know? but uh dopamine man i think it's yeah i know what it was
1: with me yeah
0: yeah but i don't know how do you how do you go about learning about your local ecosystem like i would like to you know um but it just seems like there's so much i don't know where to start what do you think
1: yeah fuck i don't know i mean really it's systematics which is just the classification of living things according to how they evolved like that was an early concept that I was lucky enough to kind of stumble into. I don't know if it was from like looking at the taxonomy charts on Wikipedia, taxonomy, phylogeny, systematics. All these words are kind of one and the same in the way that the ways that they relate to each other. And so that kind of gave me a mental picture to imagine uh you know what a proper term is for something and what that term means. Like the shared traits th- that are a result of common ancestry. You know, like birds yeah. and bats don't you know, they both have wings, that, but they're not that closely related. They both evolved those secondarily um and so uh you know so like but b- birds are you know basically dinosaur like birds did basically evolve from dinosaurs you know that lineage. so mm-hmm. understanding that looking at, at cladograms which are like a you know the little triangles the trees the evolutionary trees um but you don't even need to do that much i mean i guess or you don't even need to take it to that extent i think for me to go about learning about an ecosystem is just getting out and trying to figure out first off is something native or was it, you know, uh, brought here, uh, by Europeans accidentally in the last 500 years. Like if you're in, you know, the, the West side of the Atlantic, if you're in, like North or South America, basically understanding what you could trying to understand what ecosystem something came from the things that are native. Then I always study cause it's those evolved here and we the product of, you know, millions of years of, of evolving with the pollinators and the insects that chew on them and the birds that disperse their fruit or the mammals, that's, whatever. Um, but it's really just going out and taking photos. I mean, again, these, these phones can be a blessing and a curse. They're more often they're a curse, but I mean, um, you've basically got an encyclopedia and a camera in your pocket. You've got this wonderful learning tool. So I think, um, you know, asking the right, it's all about asking the right questions, you know, and most of, with plants, most of most often, unfortunately, least in my opinion the the questions people are asking are is it edible or is it psychoactive whereas I'm always asking what family is it in what else is it related to like I want a context for where to place that plant in my mind and my understanding of how life evolved and how the world evolved um let's say you know let's say I, I go out and I go for a hike or something
0: and I see like a cool looking plant um what's the best way for me to find out what kind of plant that
1: is the, the best trait to use to identify any kind of plant is reproductive structures. So a, a flower or a fruit. And, um you know, every flower, if it's if it is a flowering plant and not, you know, a, a gymnosperm, a conifer or a, or a fern, which is produce spores, if it is a flowering plant, um you know, a, it'll produce a flower. And then if that flower is pollinated, that'll later produce a fruit and then that fruit will be seeds. So Fruit and flowers are the most diagnostic factors. I mean, people generally, you know, they usually think leaves. Sometimes that works if you already know a plant. But, I mean, leaves can be so plastic, you know, phenotypically plastic. They can be so, you know, the same genus can have species with vastly different looking leaves, you know. Um, so that that really helps. And, of course, just understanding the different levels of, of like the, like, just three levels of taxonomy, everyone should know. Family, genus, and species, you know, keep it simple. Okay. And so, you know, obviously things that are in the same genus are more closely related to each other than two genera, plural of genus, that are in the same family. So, uh, but definitely flowers. Like people will send me pictures, like, can you help me ID this? And it's like, I need to see uh, flowers or fruits, you know? Sometimes you can use leaves if you know a plant already. But if I go to another continent, like I went to Namibia. um, Yeah, I want to talk to
0: you about that after.
1: We have a plant in, yeah, fucking God, South Africa was the fucking weirdest, man. I mean, the whole, because I didn't know much about apartheid except from hearing it in fucking Dave Kennedy's songs. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, South Africa and maybe the whole whole region. Namibia was fucking awesome. Namibia was really cool. But um, anyway, so I went to Namibia and there's a plant there uh, in the genus Thamnosma and I had never seen it before, but I knew immediately it was in the genus Thamnosma because we have a Thamnosma in Texas and we got one in California. Hmm. Mm. as well. And it's, it's in the citrus family, rutaceae, uh, uh, a shared trait of the citrus family, AKA a synapomorphy to the product of, of, you know, shared evolutionary ancestry uh, is that they, they often have a smell. They got these oils in them. These, they have, they have pellucid oil glands in the leaves. So if you crush up the leaves, they can smell really pungent. Rue smells that way. You think of like a citrus fruit. There's a lot of pellucid oil glands in the fruit of like an orange peel. And so, and, and then the fruit, it's funny because on Thamnosma, the fruit looks like a little ass. It's really funny. It's a really weird <laughs> ovary structure. It looks like a little ass. And so I saw this thing and it was different. It was, you know, much taller and a little bit bigger than the plant that we, the species we have in Texas, which only gets about, you know, 16 inches high. And I saw the little ass fruit and I was like, in the smell. And I was like, this is a fucking Thamnosma. What the shit? It's Thamnosma africana. So I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. So that's, I mean, that's why I tell people this stuff. Makes sense, you know. Um, you know, some people it's not so much anymore, but they're used. There was like initially when I was first getting into, I guess, teaching this stuff just through social media, there was kind of this pushback, like, Oh, we don't need Latin names, they're just this product of colonialism. And it's like, Well, I mean, I guess. But you know, just because like some fuck, if like an asshole invented the wheel, I'm not going to not use wheels. It's a good system. It works. It's fucking right. As long like as you the, understand that, like the cladistics, like right, right. As long as you understand, like a species is still a human concept. We're trying to put boxes around how things evolve, but it's still a good system of using it. And so, if you understand what makes something in a genus and what places something in a family you know, and, and so on different taxonomic levels. Cause there's a method to the madness. Do you understand that you can go to a completely new place and see something that's in that genus yeah. or family, et cetera, and know what it is. It's fucking great. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That was fascinating. I didn't know
0: that, uh, that, uh, fruits and flowers are the best way to go. I definitely would have thought leaves, but, um, more concretely, like what do you, what would you actually do to like identify the the plant? Like, you know, I, I'm just thinking of myself, you know, like I'm looking outside, there's like trees out there, you know. I get like mm. look at a tree, but then what? Like I am like, okay, so I found like a seed, but like are there um is there like a I don't know, is there like an app for that or like uh, like a good website that you can use or like uh, do you just have like piles of books in your bedroom or like how do you do? Uh, the way
1: that the way that it used to be done before, you know, smartphones and and social media and having have an access you know worst worst case you just contact someone if you can't identify something you know who'd be like hey got any idea like someone who you think might know more than you but um but you know what used to be done what botanists used to do was collect a specimen and herbarium voucher take it to the fucking herbarium like say they were going to school for this or something and and i try to identify it using a key which is like a giant tome you could beat someone over the head with like 20 pound, you know, flora, and it's got a key in there and it's got one character trait here, one character trait here. You pick which one that falls into, and you just keep on doing that. So on and so on, just picking huh. between two different traits until you get to, okay, I understand what genus this is. Now I go to the genus, do the same thing, but that's involved. There's It's just written descriptions. You have to know a whole terminology. There's a vocab. It's right. You know, it's kind of a pain. It's not for, for layman. So, uh, the easiest way, I mean, yeah, use an app like iNaturalist. That's what I always tell people. I mean, it's a great resource. It's open source. It's free. Take a picture, upload it. Maybe obscure nice. the location if you don't want people to know where it went. And then iNaturalist uses AI uh, to identify and then compares it to what's been observed near you. If you're in a place where there hasn't been many observations, like when I was in Brazil, there weren't many um, then you can. The thing that's cool about iNaturalist is is a lot of people in academia who study these groups can get alerts when something is uploaded that's in a certain clade, a certain evolutionary grouping, a family, a genus, whatever. Yeah. And then they'll identify. You know, like uh, my friend John Redman always does that for Baja Mexico plants because he's like the he works at Natural History Museum of San Diego. So um, that helps. And then, you know, really paying attention to the taxonomy, like don't look at the common names, try to at least memorize if, if you're seeing a plant a lot and you're really curious about it, what genus it's in, you know, Hmm. like thamnosma, like, ah, it's a thamnosma. I really like the way that smells. That's cool. Whoa. I wonder what other variations on a theme there are. And you can go to iNaturalist and look at the taxonomy and look up every other species of thamnosma that's been observed all over the world. So that's a really useful tool. Uh, Wikipedia is always helpful. And then, you know, it just depends how far down you want to go a rabbit hole. So, oops, sorry, I
0: just dropped my headphones. Um, amazing, man. That's, uh, that's awesome. I've always wanted to like, learn a lot more about the ecosystem that I live in, but I've always felt overwhelmed by it. Like really didn't know where to start, you know? Um, I don't even know what the name of like the ecosystem I live in is. Do you? I live in Montreal. Do you have any idea? It
1: would probably just be uh, deciduous, temperate deciduous forest. There's probably some bogs around there. Um, it was probably under ice 20,000 years ago. You know, definitely was. Um, yeah, I, I've always wanted to go to Montreal. It's one part of Canada I've never been to. Man, I oh, you have never uh, been, man?
0: You got to come visit. No,
1: I would just hear all the uh, people joking about how all like the the PCP smokers play uh, uh, medieval times <laughs> in the park and shit. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and everyone, oh, c'est bon, c'est bon. <laughs> you
0: know? but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I love Yo, You goal, should come man. visit. I think the um, the uh, ecosystem is probably not uh, that fascinating. Although, um, speaking of botany shit, I took a trip up the the north coast of the Saint Laurent River. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. the Saint Lawrence River. Like, if you keep going along the north coast of it, like it it just opens up into sea, right? and um in the like the gulf of st lawrence and if you keep going further and further and further like eventually the highway just ends because it's like too far north um and then there's like a dirt road that keeps going a little bit further um to like a couple of reserves that are up there um and then it just ends completely and there's more reserves along the coast but you got to like take God, a boat that's gotta um that
1: has got to be cool
0: and up there it's fucking crazy there was some like some bogs um they're like it's it's subarctic definitely like when you get to that area and it's just these like yeah. giant bogs full of fucking um carnivorous plants, like thousands of them. It was fucking nuts. I'd never seen anything um, like it in my uh, life.
1: Oh yeah. Probably Saracenias and drosters. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I think every ecosystem is fascinating. I mean, that's something that's changed in me too. The more I got into this, the more I started to see, you know, I would ignore certain plants like grasses or fucking liverworts or whatever. And I'd be like, yeah. but the more I started to see, and the more I learned, the more I realized everything is important. Like everything's worth understanding and trying to document and totally. place into context because this shit all interacts with each other, you know? And so I think every ecosystem is certainly, there's certainly more charismatic ones. The, you know, the, the Brazilian Sahado is pretty unfucked with a bull in terms, it's pretty far up there, you know, in terms of uh, <laughs> biodiversity. But, um, but, you know, I mean, any place that hasn't been turned into a fucking parking lot, you know, yeah. at least in, in the, the first world, because that seems to be mostly a first world issue is just turning everything into it. I mean, I think America, I'm going off on a fucking here, so you feel free to cut me off anytime. But I think America <laughs> has fucked its landscape into such a coma. We have created one of the ugliest and most just just futile and cultureless fucking landscapes. Uh in in the entire first world i think i mean just the, the shopping retail there's not a day that goes by i don't have a like a uh, a black glimmer of hate for that because it is just it just <laughs> wastes right people's now. it wastes people's potential it's based around shopping and like lowest common denominator shit like the race to the bottom of the brainstem you know yeah, something that social yeah, media yeah. is going through right now like just shopping and eating and driving and shopping and eating and driving and it's and when you think about that that is what's destroying this this fucking encyclopedia this museum of like evolutionary wonders that took millions of years to get here and you're yeah, like yeah god what are we doing it's such a tragic
0: period we live no, in that. it's it's fucking insane i wrote an article about this not that long ago that was kind of just about how like uh you know they always used to say that in the Soviet Union, you know, everything was just kind of this gray concrete cube with people like lining up to go like get their rations or whatever. And I'm like, yo, we just recreated that. But like, yeah, uh, but without even the, without
1: even the benefit of it being like owned by us, you know, it's just. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the thing, too. It's like I love the old trope. The old trope from like the fifties and sixties, and and I guess into the eighties too. Reagan was kind of parroting this, but you know, in communism, like, i like, you know, efficiency is greatly slowed down. You're going to be waiting. You know, have wheelbarrows full of cash, and you'll have, you know, uh, don't do anything, and you know, people standing in bread lines. It's like well, we've got kind of the same thing now, in a way. You know, I mean, like it's there's so much fucking inequality, and we've put so much game on. You know, our value system so deranged. We put so much emphasis on just on buying shit and accumulating wealth, this fucking race to nowhere with no values placed on all the things that make life worth living. Like, you know, healthy relationships, self-insight, learning about yourself, fucking, uh, you know, laughter, intact ecosystems. I mean, it's, it's fucking, I don't know, man. I Like, I wonder where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no. what is it going to be like in a couple fucking... decades ago? Me too. Get me have you, out of here. Have you heard of the, the
0: concept of the grill pill? No. Okay. It's, um, it's something that Matt Christman came up with a long time ago. Uh, the guy from Chapo there, um, and it's just like the idea that everyone needs to, first of all, like turn the fucking internet off every once in a while. And second of all, they need to go like grill, like grill some meats with their friends. Um, and uh, if, if you don't like eating meat, you can do something else, you know. But the point is that yeah. you need like an activity in your life that is just like not, um, not for clout – it's like not monetized. It's not uh, It's yeah. not a, a job, you know, um, that no one, you're, you're not doing it so that people can like think that you're cool, like whatever. Um, and that kind of connects you with either other people or the natural world in some way. And he's like, he's just talking about how uh, the left in particular, we tend to get like, you know, very obsessed with all of our activities needing to be either like revolutionary, uh, or if we are sort of the more clout obsessed type of quote unquote leftist, um, all of our activities need to be like easily Instagrammable, you know? Um, and I just love the concept of the grill pill. Cause I think it's like this great sort of like, um, tongue in cheek condensation of, um, our need for like spirituality that isn't like totally alienated. But I think that what you have done. Although I will say, I mean, you are monetizing it, but we've got to monetize everything these days. But I, I love that you just were sort of like, you were just like, fuck it, botany, you know? And like, you're like, I'm going to learn yeah. about like the natural world to this like insane extent and then teach people about it. And I fucking love that. And I think it's like learning about like going outside and like learning what the names are of all the plants that surround you is like a perfect and amazing grill pill.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fucking, I mean, just putting the phone down especially. I mean, the more I look into this, I had a fucking a, a psychedelic experience maybe a month or two ago. I was um I was invited to a peyote ceremony at the uh, Tohono uh, odom uh reservation southern Arizona. And while I was in the depths of I mean, it's such a fucking incredible experience and there, you know, it's just humility and gratitude and I almost don't want to talk about it cuz I don't want to pub. You know, it's like shit you don't want to put yeah. out there you don't want more sure. people doing it but whatever <laughs> uh, that aside i can't the fucking bag i should have just said second like experience but anyway one of the things that just kept smacking me in the face was like the phone's fucking poison the phone's fucking poison it's just like junk food put it down it's like fucking fritos it's like fucking you know it's like sugar high fructose corn syrup it's fucking garbage put it down like yes there's potential but for you know learning and education and connecting but it really is garbage it plays into this the dopamine response you know again that that There's this phrase I've been hearing again, you know, makes total sense. Race to the bottom of the brainstem. That's really what it is. And the the phone is just, God, man, it's, I don't know. I think just too, because where I live, it's been, it can be kind of isolating. I think it just, the phone goes hand in hand with social isolation and anxiety and fucking depression. And you see it having these effects, you know, over wide areas. And I think that's why plants can be so great. Just go the fuck outside. I mean, even if you're like Instagramming it or taking photos, at least you're still out there you know at least you know and try to just turn your phone off for like 30 minutes and 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 don't look you know but i think a lot of us catch ourselves being drawn to it it's that it's like the rat in the cage with the fucking heroin button you know like that old experiment like yeah press the button to get the fucking pill it's the same thing but yeah the the grill pill i like that i mean anything man you know just bond with people again you know yeah yeah. no i fucking um hate my phone with like a a
0: driving passion and I'm also completely addicted to it. It's like really disgusting. I also get these moments where I'm like, I have this sort of like spiritual, well, I'll have something spiritual inside me sort of like hammering to get out being like the phone is fucking poison. The phone is fucking poison, you know? And I'm just like, Oh, well too bad. I'm a fucking drug addict. you
1: know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Really? It is man. But you know, I, I look at myself, I'm like, okay, what am I reading? Like I'll, I'll go online to do something or like read a message that someone mentioned something on Instagram. And then I'm like looking at Instagram and I have to be like, "Ah!" like, put it down, you know, and I make sure I'm like either looking at iNaturalist or reading a fucking paper, the tiny print, you know, like having to blow it up on a phone, but it's better than not reading it. So, you know, if I'm not doing that, it's like, just fucking put it down, man. Or taking notes, put it down. Yeah, for sure. I like what you say in the, the
0: description of your podcast, you're talking about how, Botany for you was a, a context in which to place the living non-human world that you see around you, you know, um, and I think that that is a really deeply spiritual outlook. Um, do you think of
1: this as a spiritual kind of um, pursuit? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it totally is. It's I mean, I, I think that, you know, especially the older I get, the more I realize how important this stuff is to connecting with other life forms and again really shaking out shaking yourself out of that human myopia you know mm-hmm. i always call it zooming out because that's what it feels like it's like yeah if you look at like fucking google earth or something you know and you're in this you look at like a picture of where you live and then you start to slowly zoom out like that feeling getting a broader perspective in a picture of of not just where you are spatially but also temporally like understanding the geologic time scale understanding how things evolve like how does a plant know what a rock look? What a rock looks like? You know, you plant cactus that looks like a rock. How does a plant know what a rock looks like? It doesn't. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't at all. Yeah. It's just, it's just how life evolves. It's natural selection. Mm-hmm. The same thing that humans did with fucking chihuahuas and pit bulls, and how they're both technically the same species, and brassica and cauliflower is technically the same species. You know, if humans can do that in in five thousand years or ten thousand years, imagine what the environment, everything surrounding a plant that's growing or another, or an animal, whatever can yeah. do. in in a few million, you know, it's getting that perspective, like, wow, there was a before me, and there's going to be an after me, you know, and, that, and I am infinitesimally small and that doesn't scare me. That's, that's kind of beautiful in a way. Yeah, man. And I think there's just connecting with, with other life forms and caring for them and loving them. I mean, You know, that's absolutely a a spiritual experience experience. It's a fucking, you know, every day, you know, I mean, I don't know. And then I I think, too, like I I took a different term. I had more of a sour term, um, a sour idea on the word spirituality before I got sober. I was much more cynical Mm -hmm. and I viewed it as like, you know, new agers talking about spirituality or. Yeah, yeah or any any religion any religion type, but but when I when I got sober and started you know going to fucking AA meetings and sitting in those rooms I don't go to meetings anymore but they were really helpful for a while I just yeah. don't have time and there's nothing near me anymore but um you know I thought that's when it really started to to kick and you'd see I mean I would see like these fucking people I would I would think were meatheads like big macho motherfuckers talking yeah. about talking about like you know why I acted like that because I wanted people to like me like just admitting yeah. Yeah. Or to a fucking room full of like 40 people shit that you wouldn't, most people wouldn't even admit to a therapist, you know? And I was like, or to themselves. Yeah. Or to, them, yeah. or to themselves. Fuck. Right. Especially in an age where we're all posturing online all the time. And, you know, you know, uh, so I just, I think that all, that all the shit started to click. I mean, all, everything started to click, you know, and then, and then, yeah, I want to, you know, obviously I don't need to talk about psychedelics, but there's moments in there where you look inside yourself, you get a little bit of self insight and especially, with plants, I mean, psychedelics and plants, uh, you know, of course with my opinion on psychedelics too, is again, like when you, when you get the message, hang up the phone, right? Like it's not, not like a, a, I don't want to be too much of a booster of them. They're yeah. good at times, not for everybody. I mean, they're not necessary either, but, uh, but you know, I think with, with that, I would have moments of, you know, if you're using them in a therapeutic sense and for gaining self insight once in a, in a while, they can be helpful. And especially when you've got a lens on the living world or more of a lens on the living world than like the average person that's it certainly brings you a little bit of a, a different perspective you know
0: yeah yeah absolutely i can see that for sure um another thing that you you mentioned in in um the description of your podcast and also that you've been touching on in this uh interview is just about education right like you're talking about how the way that we're taught science in school, and I think this is true, like all across North America, you know, at least in public schools um, is abysmal and it's so fucking boring, man. And uh, you're trying to do this thing where you're bringing this, this wealth of information to people um, in a way that's like accessible and also really, really interesting, you know? Um, And that doesn't, doesn't just treat it as this dry, pointless, chaff to be to be memorized right um i really appreciate that and i want to hear more about your your thoughts about education
1: well yeah i I guess in some ways i think that you know my mom was a school teacher she was a public school teacher she taught school she taught like third fourth and fifth grade for 30 years and um Uh, my mom's a teacher too yeah (laughs) teacher moms man that's mom (laughs) teacher moms that's like a fucking that's a pretty i feel like i was pretty lucky to have I mean, she's wonderful. I love her in general, but I was I was pretty lucky to have a mom that was a school teacher. So, um, but I think, you know, that's there's a I, I get again, it's it comes out of dopamine. I get like a dopamine shot when I see someone get excited about something that I think is inherently beautiful. You know, when you see it finally click for someone and those plants that they've been driving by uh or biking by, you know, and and are just a green blur on the side of the road, when those start to when they start to pay more attention and they're like oh you know it's again it's all context it's like you know you've got to be taught a context you've got to be taught why is this worth paying attention to not just memorize this you've got to be able to you know be taught in a way that makes it fun and and is easy to understand and is and and furthermore why you understand why it's worth trying to understand and so i think that is what what makes it kind of an addictive experience for me is I I like sharing this with other people. And I think what, for me especially, like it saved me from just a dark outlook. It saved me from, you know, getting preoccupied with whatever dumb shit I would have been preoccupied with. I mean, it was such a great uh, escape. And it's, you know, when at some point I realized I could study for the rest of my life and I'd never run out of things to study. Like there was, there was <laughs> you know, the lens would just become eventually less blurry and clear. You get more resolution. more you learn but you could never learn everything you could never learn everything and so i you know it was really like you know and i use the things like that's the thing is like you get a more when you learn about other life forms you get a more accurate lens and perspective on everything like directly people you know the biggest mistake one could make is thinking that this isn't practical stuff to know you know Mm. um so, you know, whether it's like, oh, you know, I know that plant is probably poisonous and not to eat it because I can tell <laughs> it's in this family because of the flower and right. the fruit and that family's known for having synapomorphies that are toxic secondary chemicals or or whatever, you know. Or just like, oh, I would understand how this would evolve and and how this might work and how this got here, you know, it would um you know. So I I think there's just yeah, man, it's it's fun. It's fucking it, it, and I think it really a, a lot of people just don't understand this stuff or or know about it because it's not they don't. They're not exposed to it, you know. Yeah. Um, so I. That's yeah. For me, I think it's just. And again, education should be free. This shit shouldn't be monetized. I mean, I fucking, I have to put ads on the fucking podcast and the fucking stupid YouTube. But you know, you could skip through those. But I'm talking about monetizing things like, you know, that's the the fact that education is such a ripoff, at least in the U.S. and like formal education and yeah. no, all Yeah, yeah, like formal yeah. education. Like, God, man, like the world doesn't have to be like this. You know? It's I, know just, I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. Um, I don't know. I think
0: about all, I'm, I think about this all the time with, with history. I mean, it's, it's a similar kind of situation. I feel like there's actually so many overlaps between what you're doing and um, cause I'm okay. So I'm starting this kind of like solo podcast project, like a side project um, that's just going to be about world history. And I'm oh going to do God, like, that sounds
1: amazing. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm going to do these like,
0: <laughs> these like deep dives into uh exclusively like non-western countries because i fucking hate like i'm so fed up with western history and it's so similar to what you're talking about with like the 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 um the kind of like uh, what did you call it horticultural plants versus like the native plants and like just the like the more interesting shit that is already there because like in history they teach you almost exclusively it's like greeks romans world war one world war two the end you know and it's like it all takes place in like europe and the colonies right um yeah it's fucked up man it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. And like, nobody, absolutely nobody knows like what was going on in let's say like medieval nope. India or whatever. Um, but there was a lot going on, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I brought up, uh, Namibia. Well, you brought up Namibia and I said, I wanted to talk about it because, um, I I did a a sort of like a promo episode to see if people would be into this idea um, and I did it about Namibia um, and it was picked kind of at random and then I was like, holy fuck, Namibia is fascinating, man. I had like absolutely no idea about Namibia's history, but um, there's like so much going on there and like, you know, it provides these uh, interesting parallels with the the situation in Palestine, for example, um, because, you know, both of them were these... uh, these colonies of empires that lost in World War I and then were turned into mandates given to Britain and then passed off to apartheid states, right? Um, and in the case of Namibia, it was given to South Africa. In the case of Palestine, it was given to the Zionists, right? Um, and and then and then both of them fought, you know, 40, 50-year-long wars with the indigenous population to kind of suppress them and to prop up their, uh, their apartheid states. And this shit is fascinating because it's like you were saying about how like you can like look at the, the genus of a plant and be like, well, that's probably poisonous, you know? And it's like really like similar with history where you can just, you can like kind of like see this similarity, a pattern that emerges and be like, well, there's, there's a, somewhere a branch branched, you know? And then we have these two situations and and we can like tell things about those situations based on where they came from, you know, or even uh, sorry, now I'm on a rant, but. Um, no, I do
1: it. I love it. I love When you post stuff about, about, World history and about that too, because again, so much of the you know it's like the shit we're taught in school. Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin, at least in the United States. Here in Canada, so it would. But it's like, why the fuck do I need to know? I don't give a fuck about fuck Eli Whitney. You (laughs) know, fuck him in the face. Fuck Eli Whitney in the face. I don't give a fuck. What you know? And you learn so little about like indigenous American history. I fucking almost hate that word because it's been so excessive. Indigenous, but when you learn about native, you know, cultures and like, I want to learn about that. Like that's the cool shit. Or like we're learning about you know, Greece and Rome and Europe and what the fuck? There was no one else anywhere else. That, you know, like there was no one, no other human beings. Like what the fuck it's. Yeah, man. So that's the stuff that I get so curious about. Cause again, I want to know everything. I want to know. I want to know humanity. I want to know Yeah. what, you know, I want to know the full spectrum of, of human cultures and civilizations. And, and, uh, it's just, yeah, man, I'm looking forward that's to the it. podcast. Please.
0: That's <laughs> it, man. Yeah, no, totally. And like, um, it's, I just keep thinking about what you were saying about cladistics and um, the the families, you know, because it's the same with linguistics, right? Like, languages are are uh, categorized into families in exactly the same way. Um, they don't uh, interact in the same way as organisms do, but there are, like, a lot of parallels, you know? Um, and you can, like, look at where languages are spoken in the world, and then you can, like, tell a lot about what happened in the past, right? And so the next episode I'm working on is going to be about Turkmenistan. Um, And like, okay, so they speak like a Turkic language in Turkmenistan, as you might guess from the name. Um, But like, where else do they speak Turkic languages? Well, they speak, they speak one in Turkey, obviously, you know, but that's not where Turks come from. Like Turks come from like Mongolia originally. Um, And the other like Turkic languages are spoken in this sort of like this speckled like strip up to the fucking coast of the Arctic Ocean in in Siberia, you know? And so you, like, look at, like, the people who speak Turkic languages and
1: there are people in Istanbul and people in Siberia, you know. Um, and you and can just see like, where they migrated and how populations moved and culture. Yeah, and you're like, and... how did that – how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> you know? yeah. um,
0: and, and we don't know about it because nobody ever fucking told us about it in, in North America. Um like people have absolutely no idea, you know? Um, and anyways, yeah. I'm fascinated by this shit and I want to tell people about it. So I'm, well, I'm Americans,
1: especially, they couldn't tell you where <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like yeah, The yeah. American sense of geography is like, like notorious, but, um, with Namibia too, I got a question that was, I remember when I was there and I, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was, cause they were under, they were with South Africa at one point, but they broke away. They managed to the, didn't they? I mean, what is the history there? Yeah. So 60s basically or 70s
0: this happened. South Africa was a, um, a British colony, right? And when Namibia was taken from the German Empire, um, it was, after World War I, it was turned into a League of Nations mandate. And then it was given to South Africa, a British colony to rule as its own colony, basically. Um, and and the goal, like ostensibly, the uh, from the League of Nations anyway, was that, these mandates were supposed to be turned into self-governing territories over time, but South Africa was like, "There's no fucking way that we're turning this into a self-governing territory," and so they they ruled it as their fifth province um, illegally um, for a really long time, and they you know they opposed apartheid um, in in Namibia, um, and just t- ruled it as part of South Africa. But the people in Namibia, uh, obviously were not happy about this and fought a war with them, which, you know, the, the South Africans called the Bush war, um, <laughs> and the Namibians called the war of independence, you know? Um, but yeah, the Namibians were, you know, they were, um, they ganged up with a bunch of countries their North in, in particular, like in like Angola, there was, yeah. uh, there was like all these like Cuban so- soldiers and like Soviet uh, backed fighters that were fighting against South Africa and, and the colonial like regime in general in, in Southern Africa. Um, yeah. And so at one point there was like this like standoff between like South African soldiers and Cuban soldiers in Namibia and nobody knows about this.
1: <laughs> Holy shit. What, what is the 70s or what? That was like in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. God, my, Namibia is fucking... Yeah, man, I just it's I think that's because they got independent. First off, some of the creepiest shit I've ever heard white people say was when I was in Namibia or fucking South Africa. It is like just so fucking it's so weird. I mean, just the total like just overt overtly racist shit, you know, and uh, yikes. God, yeah, man, this one. Oh, anyway, I'm not even getting into it, but um, <laughs> but but Namibia feels, you know, South Africa has has it can feel pretty fucking sketchy at times. Like you could tell, oh wow, there was like there's a lot of social unrest, there was lots of poverty, there's lots of crime. Whereas like Namibia has such a more chill vibe. It makes sense that they got independence, you know, because where does all that, where does apartheid and all that kind of dark shit lead to? What is it? What, what it creates a fucking dystopia? Obviously, right? Like it creates. You know, I mean I just it's it's so I mean why they should teach that shit and I do they teach about apartheid in American high schools? I don't know. Maybe to not really like, that, that's such a fucking crazy thing. That's so recent. It is insanity. You know? Yeah. I mean it's like yeah. it's just fucking nuts. It's no yeah, totally so and like know. the South Africans
0: were able to get away with it for so long because they were our by our I mean like NATO, like our like bulwark against communism in Africa, you know. Um right. And uh, you know they were very happy to fight communism because all the independence movements in Africa were, uh, well, almost all of them anyway, were aligned with the Soviet Union one way or another. You know, um, and uh, yeah, but you know, at the end, like they were so insane and brutal that even like the Americans were like, "Wow, like you gotta, you gotta calm down," um, which I guess is the it's kind of the goal with Israel too. Is just that's to kind of like, what
1: we're. I was just gonna say it's kind of what we're doing with Israel, what not us, the U.S. is doing. They're like, ooh – Yeah, Yeah, it turns out you guys weren't using smart bombs, you were using dumb bombs. Not like a smart bomb is not going to kill a bunch of kids still, but like, oh, you guys were just fucking exponentially responding and killing a bunch of kids. And oh, well, like they're starting, you know, it's been going on for (laughs) the, like, even like the United States is finally like, ah, okay, I'm going to like slowly... Like so, I mean, we're still sending them aid, but it's just fucking. What a fucking mess, man. Yeah, the, but the, the thing with South Africa that's nuts is like you have you had seven percent, a racial demographic that was seven percent of the country controlling everything. Like mm-hmm. that's just fucking. Like, where did you think it was gonna go? Like, did you guys think you were gonna be able to do this forever? Like, even if you don't give a fuck about people and, and or humanity, I mean, where, don't you think like this is gonna this is untenable? You know, like at what point are people just going to get fed up with your shit and you're just, you know, you can't live behind. You go there and everything is behind razor wire. Everything's behind razor wire, everything. I mean, it is a fucking dystopia in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I talked to some fucking I forget where I was. I talked to some dude. He was like we stayed at one spot in the desert. It was, it was kind of like a South African version of like a burner camp. And this guy, really nice guy, um, was uh talking. He was a white dude. He was like, yeah, I forget where he was. I he was, if he grew up in South Africa or what, but he, he was telling us how he lived in Johannesburg. He's like, Yes, I got tired of this. And that's when I started this place. I would, I would, you know, let myself out of my cage every morning to go to work and come back to my cage every night. And I was like, That sounds terrible. Like, that's the product of obviously apartheid and all the fucking, you know, like there's just connecting the dots to like what creates this dystopia. You know, it's like, that's mm-hmm. just a good, another good reason why you, you gotta, you know, you gotta care for the collective. You have to care for everybody you know that's why i wonder about like where's the u.s going to be when we've eradicated all the social nets and there's you know such a great such a huge gap between rich and poor like where do you think this is going to go you know like where do you think we're going to end up you know even if you don't care about people and you're living in a mcmansion behind a wall community the the fucking dystopia that you create is going to end up at your front door sooner or later yeah yeah Um, (laughs) it really will man (laughs) you know oh god um
0: Okay, speaking of people's front doors, um, you have this slogan "Kill your lawn," um, which I think is fucking hilarious, and you have shirts too. But I was wondering if uh, is this just a slogan or is this something you do? Because I saw a video of yours recently, and I, I, <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were joking or not. But it's like of like some somebody's like giant lawn outside of their like McMansion, and you're like, "Oh, we had to like take all this up because they weren't uh, they planting the right native plants and stuff like this." Are do do you, do okay. you do like <laughs> landscaping, or were you just like? Well, fucking that was. Around?
1: That was for a fucking small scale TV show, actually, that no okay. one can watch because it got sold to cable. Um oh no. you, so you can't stream it. You can pirate it on like Pirate Bay, I guess. I guess someone uploaded it. Okay. But um but no, some small production company hit me up like two two years ago. I thought I mean a bunch of production companies have like hit me up in the past, like, we want to develop a show out of this, and I'm like, eh. All right, maybe, you know, but no one could really come up with a solid idea. And I'm like, I'm really kind of doing okay. This is working for me, you know. Yeah. I'm not getting rich anytime soon, but I'm able to make a living off this. And so anyway, this but this small production company hit me up, and the guy was super mellow. And now, I mean, he's a friend of mine now, you know. He's like this this uh sweet Montana dad, like super, but it grew up in like Asheville, like super fucking cool, um, really good, human, good values. But he hit me up and he was like, you know, uh, I really like what you do like we were talking about just on a whim they was like I, we were thinking about doing a couple show themes like we've had these on the you know, you know uh, back burner for a while this small production company turns out it never produced anything too yeah okay. and, uh, and and so they were like one of them was called kill your lawn and I was like oh well I've actually been you know sh- screaming that for the last 10 years <laughs> and so we ended up making this little show and it got sold to this network called EarthX TV which is kind of this obscure Network that's like Channel Two Sixty Seven on Dish Network. Anyway, anyway, the point is that was that was part. So we filmed two seasons of this, and it's it's just me and my friend L, and we just drive around and kind of make fun yeah. of the suburbs, and then go explore native plant habitats, talk about what species would you know do well in a native plant garden, and why it's worth it to do that. You know, I mean, why get rid of your lawn? aside like even because everyone kind of hates lawns. It's kind of becoming a thing. People realize that yeah. what they represent, but also. Um, You know, what can be replaced in it uh, when a lawn is gone is, you know, not only restoring the habitat around you, but also giving your bringing nature home, giving yourself a chance to go out and be surrounded by all the cool native insects, butterflies, pollinators, birds, learn about the land around you like, okay, you can't drive 45 minutes to the nature reserve and sit through fucking, you know, the crumb of habitat that's been left in your your car sprawl area, well, just plant it in your front yard. Fuck it. If you have a front yard, if you don't have a – if you live in an apartment, go fucking start illegally doing it, you know, in a in a yeah. vacant lot or wherever. Find a spot. You know, talk to the city. Ask if you can get a little garden plot in the park for native plants or something. So mm-hmm. that's really what it's about. It's just about trying to bond people with, with plants. And, again, not just because something – not through, like, the horticultural lens of we like this plant because it's just aesthetically – subjectively pleasing it's you know we like this because this evolved here because it evolved it's already got relations with all the other life forms that live in this region you know okay i've i have two things to say first of all i'm like shocked that there's
0: such a thing as like a cable tv show that's like not on the internet that you like what even the fuck is that like no man I, like it's who even like has right. like a tv like yeah anyways secondly um yeah fuck lines. uh do you Happen to know um, when lawns became like a thing? Like, there must have
1: been like a beginning point for this. Some British shit, I think, man. <laughs> <laughs> some, it's some Anglo shit, you know? It's some fuck... I don't know. I think it's, you know, it was this... It is I, deeply I think British, about, isn't it? How the fuck did they mow these things in like the 1800s, right? Like, how Poor fuck? people. Yeah, yeah. You just, oh, they'll my servants do it You know, like, it just... Um, I don't or maybe, know. I maybe, mean, like, sheep... <laughs> yeah i guess you could graze i mean i guess you could get a lawn naturally with grazing animals if, depending on what animal you used um and what species of grass you use but i mean there's nowhere where lawns but the idea naturally. yeah like the idea it's that just every the weird... house
0: should have a lawn in front of it is like a fucking it's really, really weird fucking one weird. like where did and, that and come I, from
1: and i think so i think britain invented it and then of course america put its own deranged fucking spin on it. Like we tend to do with a lot of things. So, um, I think the 1950s America, you know, when the suburbs really post-war, when the suburbs started taking off and it was like, okay, this is, everyone's going to live in this nice house with the white picket fence. That became the ideal to me. That's like another version of hell, but that became the ideal. Um, and I think that's when lawns really, you know, it was just what you do. And you talk to people now, I mean, well, when I lived in California, a lot of people didn't have lawns. You rarely saw lawns, depending on where you work. I mean, where I live now in the, you know, South Texas, like lawns are just what you have. Like no one's got native plant gardens. I had to like get into it with my city very politely, but uh, you know, and basically educate them, and then come together with a bunch of other native plant people to be like, "Yo, this is this is this is normal." You we live in a desert. You can't have lawns in there. It doesn't make any sense. You have to at least allow people right. <laughs> to have native plant gardens just because you think it looks quote messy or dirty is not a good reason, you know, you don't know anything about this stuff, no offense, let us teach you, let us teach you that this is not messy or dirty, this is intentional, and this is, I mean, it's nuts, man, like, my yard right now is, well, it's a little chilly now, it's like 60 degrees, but my yard was, uh, you know, a month ago was covered in fucking monarch and queen butterflies it was nuts mm. and like the code inspector came by to fuck with me and i was like yo really like look you look like at the butterfly how the fuck do you not like butterflies like, really <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck doesn't like butter how the fuck do you not like butterflies you, you fall on your head as a kid or something what the fuck is wrong with you like what do you want you want like a cinder block wall like you want like a like a fucking pawn shop or a dollar general or something would that be more attractive to you or like a fucking target shopping center with a football sized parking lot would that be permissible to ha- you know I don't know. So I think it's just but again, I think like anything, it's just it's just changing the culture, you know. It's do you think things changing. are changing? I I mean not quick enough. I think we're still headed towards the edge of the cliff. Uh that will change things, you know. Like any any drunk, once you hit rock bottom, you finally start to change your behavior. That's kind of how our civilization is probably gonna work. But I think slowly it is. I see more people picking this up. I see, I mean, the kill your law movement here. I mean, hey, you go to like if you're if you're looking at social media, which of course I never advise, but if you see someone like there's these posts I'll see where it's like, I killed my lawn and planted native plants. There's like a fucking thousands of likes. There's very few negative comments. The people who make negative negative comments get schooled. I think it is changing, you know? I mean, that's how it changes. I you know, I I travel a lot and I always try to pay attention to cultures too. I mean, that's why I love what you do with you know, your, your anthropological lens and everything. Cause I don't know much about that. And that's why I'm stoked for your fucking history podcast, but I pay attention to cultures. Like when I was in Brazil, there's not much of a culture for native plants there. It's fucking crazy. You yeah. know, there, it's a very small minority of people outside of academia who are into that. And, uh, which is crazy because Brazilian biodiversity is fucking insane. It's like literally um, the most like biodiverse place in the world, right? It? But like, I, again, it's just the culture. It's like you know, you get how do you change the culture from where eventually people stop wanting, you know, you get a a, a lower proportion of people wanting the fancy handbags and the muscle cars and the and the McMansions, and you get a higher proportion wanting like you know fucking native plant gardens in their yards and like really you know yeah. vibrant art and murals and shit like that you know i mean it's changing yeah. you just for me it's just being a fucking loudmouth and 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 happy people up about it not shaming but just being like this is what i'm into yeah I'm I, I like i mean i like how you're you're just sort of like relentlessly positive about it in your grumpy chicago way um, I mean, I can be negative. I, can, I, I I, shit on the car culture. I pay too much attention shitting on the car culture, the retail <laughs> stuff too much. You know, I got to stop myself, but, you know. No, I get it, though, man. It's, like, fucking so bleak. Yo, um, you ever uh, – you know who
0: Kim Stanley Robinson is, the writer? No. Who's that? He's a sci-fi writer. He wrote, like, the Mars trilogy – um he wrote a bunch of really good shit but his most recent book is called The Ministry for the Future um and we're actually going to do an episode about it uh in a couple weeks because it's an amazing book but um it's like this climate sci- sci-fi um book uh but it's set like tomorrow you know because he's basically oh, wow. just like the the climate apocalypse is like now so I'm writing science fiction about it right now um and, uh, but there's a, there's, it's, it's a really cool book. It's like fucking bleak. It's hard to read cause it's like so bleak. Um, but he basically goes through all the different possibilities of getting our shit together. Um, that are like realistic, you know, that like might actually happen given like our political circumstances, given like how fucked up we've let things get to. And then he is sort of like, is like, what, what would happen if we did some of these, you know? Um, oh, and wow. so in that sense, it's very uplifting. Um, and one of the things that he talks about um, is this this plan that gets taken up in the world in like the near future in his book um, to start rewilding like big segments of of the planet. Um, and in the U.S., what they do is they they take like whole sections of the prairies that are uh, that are basically like these kind of like like ghost towns that like only kind of like old people live in uh, because like yeah. farming is just kind of like all corporate like monocrops anyway and like all the young people have left and like whatever and they they take these town they like pay the people and they're like we're gonna give you like a nice apartment in in uh you know the bigger city and whatever like little state you're in or something but we're taking the town and they like bulldoze the towns you know and they create this like giant corridor um that's like basically like a huge kind of like natural park for uh for like the buffalo herds to come back and all this kind of stuff. Oh, and like I I was just like sobbing like reading this fucking book man, you know, cuz I'm just like yeah, we man. could actually do this. It's not it's yeah. not like an insane thing. We have national parks already, you know what I mean? Um but the idea would be to have sort of like half of
1: the earth be wild like completely right, wild. Right, like you know? like the E.O. Wilson book Half Earth. And it's the 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 point the, the trick there would be convincing Cultures that this, you know, this stuff is important, not just because it looks good on a postcard, because, but because it's a functioning machine. It's a functioning, mm-hmm. an intact mm-hmm. bios, biosphere and an intact ecosystem is a functioning machine that we fucking need to live. It's not just something that the greenies like, you know, it's the right wingers always, I'm sure, I, you know, would say, is oh, it's the greedy, They just want it to look nice. Some guy in the previous is going to roll up here. And just wants to take photos and then go back home to the seats. They always say, you know, well, as we live out here, we should be able to make money. No, it's, it's, it's a functioning. It's got a pragmatic purpose. It's got a practical purpose. These grasslands, this, whether it's a fucking temperate rainforest, in the Pacific Northwest, whatever, there's a, there's a, it's a machine. If you want to think of it like that, uh, for us to live it, it yeah. you know, it creates, whether it's, you know, fucking water retention or producing oxygen or just cooling the landscape or whatever, you've got to have these. That's why I'm like, my ideal urban city would be like super dense, you know roads only for deliveries good public Mm -hmm. transit and then a fucking big park a giant park every you know five ten however many blocks you know and that that's what humans could you know could theoretically like i mean i think that just could make life such a fucking so much more pleasant you know whereas you go to like a city like austin and it's just a car slum. it's like God, you know, you the, the fucking drugstore is two minutes away walking, but I can't get to it because I have to cross the 12-lane freeway where traffic's going 80 miles yeah. per hour, and then there's a frontage road there. So I've got to go half a mile down and make a U-turn on the other side of the freeway and come down. It takes me 10 fucking minutes. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it, I don't know. It's cool. I mean, that's the cool thing to think about is like, yeah, what are some solutions? How could things be different? You know? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. what are possible ways around this? You know?
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Um, all right, man. Well. On that note, I'm going to let you go. This is an amazing interview. Uh, I love you. Yo, thanks for sending me your
1: shirt, by the way. I love you, uh, too. I love you, too, Jake. (laughs) I want you to hear me. I love you, too. I think you're doing great fucking work. You and Clementine. All right? Yeah, yeah. Thank
0: you, man. You, too. Um, And I hope we can chat again uh, soon sometime. And,
1: uh, yeah, take good care of yourself, man. Yeah, man, you, too. You ever come to the States, you ever have the misfortune to come to the States again, hit me up. And if I'm ever in Montreal, I'll definitely be getting at you So. Absolutely, man. All right.